So welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast are those of the individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Christine. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Christine, and I am a compulsive overeater. Um, I have not been to the Light a Candle meeting before, so this is really exciting um, to see so many many people here. and uh, I'm just really honored to be here. Um, so thank you, Leslie, for inviting me to speak. And uh, um, I feel totally unprepared, but I think that's kind of the best way to, to lead meetings sometimes, to just see what needs to be said in the moment. So that's what I'm going to do. So <laughs> bear with me. Um, so I want to talk about, you know, what it was like, what happened and what it was like now and what it's like now. Um, and I think it's really important so quickly to qualify, um, I just just hit my three years of abstinence um, a couple weeks ago, and um, I am maintaining a 56-pound weight loss right now. Um, so that's where I am in the program. Um, and I, uh, um, I think it's important to really kind of focus, not completely, of course, but to, to do some focus on what it was like because... I think especially for newcomers um, and people that might be in relapse or, or struggling in any kind of way to remember that we're also connected by this shared disease, regardless of where we are now, what our lifestyle is like, where we live, like anything. It's just, it's incredible. The more and more I hear about how, how all the same we are um, as addicts, it's really to me, that feels very bonding because before I found program, I thought I was the only one in the world. You know, I thought I had this shameful, embarrassing, terrible, uncurable thing that I couldn't put language to. And the first time I came to a meeting and I heard people talking like I did, it was just the most incredible feeling. So, um, so I want to start there. I'm talking about what it was like for me. So I grew up, as most of us did, um, compulsive. You know, I, I don't remember a time in my life. I mean, some of my very earliest memories are of compulsive behavior, um, definitely around food. I don't ever remember not eating compulsively, but also other things, you know, just kind of like different OCD types of tendencies, like making sure that my fingers felt balanced, making sure that you know, if I touched this with one hand, it would be the other hand, just those types of things that just were ingrained in me from a young age. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. My parents uh, were and both um, are still and were then um, alcoholics, like get blackout drunk most nights. Um, But they were very loving, very kind, very generous, supportive. I mean, really incredible parents, um, never abusive, it wasn't, um, they weren't like rageful or anything like that when they drank, they would just get silly and sloppy when they would drink and then they would black out. And so for me, what I remember about that is not really understanding it as a, as a young kid, but just remembering that like, okay, around the evening time, mom and dad get different. And that felt scary. Um, cause I couldn't explain it. And then as I got older and I understood kind of what was happening, I was just so angry about it because I just didn't understand like why they couldn't stop. Um, 
And I just vowed to myself. I remember when I was maybe like 13, I just vowed to myself that like, I would never abuse alcohol. Like I'm just, I wouldn't drink and I was going to blah, blah, blah. And I was very, very high horse and prideful about that. Um, rather obnoxiously, I'm sure. Um, and all the while having no idea that I was absolutely an addict and had been since, uh, since forever. Um, so you know, I, I remember thinking about food. I grew up, I was really skinny as a, as a young kid. Um, but I would eat a ton. Like it was just, and it was cute to people, you know, when they would see me eat like ridiculous size meals, they would think it was kind of funny and cute because like, look at this little girl, where does she put it all? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I remember as I got a little older, like maybe middle school, it was less cute because I wasn't so skinny anymore. And I started gaining weight. Um, and so then it was just a matter of like, I would try to like figure out like, okay, there's some kind of social contract going on and I don't understand, but like I would do tests, you know, I would go to a, a pizza party and I would say like, let's see how many slices I can eat until people get uncomfortable. And that's when I'll know that like, if I want to eat more, I have to do it like somewhere hidden, you know, and I would have these types of tests and, and, uh, the magic number was usually four slices. <laughs> if it was four slices or more, people would start commenting or, or think it was, something. And so, um, I could usually get away with three, but then beyond that, it was something I just knew I had to keep to myself. And I think that growing up in an, in an alcoholic home, it, you know, I didn't, alcohol became, never was my vice, but I did learn that we just kind of like, don't talk about things that are hard. Um, I learned that, you know, when my parents would be blackout and then the next day not remember something, it was like, this, oh yeah, but, but it's fine. It's fine. Like we just couldn't, we just didn't talk about it. And it was this very, very understood. And if anyone, you know, um, kind of didn't follow that it was, it was a problem. And so I think that I knew something was just different about me. And, um, and I just felt so, I just felt pathetic, honestly, as I grew up and then getting into like college and young adulthood, I felt like, why can't I lose weight? Like I, it's not rocket science. You eat less and you move more that's how to lose weight, right? Like, why can't I just do that? That doesn't seem hard, but it was just impossible. And I would, I would get, you know, brief moments of weight loss through Weight Watchers or through whatever, you know, I saw different nutritionists. I even one time saw a nutrition therapist because I thought like, there's something more going on here. And I remember she would do things like blindfold me and have me eat to see how much I really wanted, you know, how much I really needed. And then when I would take my blindfold off when I'd be full and there was all this food left and she was like, see, you don't need all that. And then I would go in the car and eat it. <laughs> so it didn't really work. Um, but it's just like this idea of like, I, I did try, I tried everything. Um, and it, uh, and I would maybe lose weight short term, but even when I did lose weight, like I remember there was one time where I was on Weight Watchers and it became kind of restrictive, um, when I was in my early adulthood and I couldn't even do Weight Watchers, not compulsively. You know, I did it and I lost a good amount of weight. And then I would go into the grocery store, not to get anything, but just to like walk around and look at all the things I wasn't eating on purpose, just to like, you know, feel what that felt like and feel powerful. And it was bizarre. Um, and then it all came back on and then more, you know, as soon as I, I stopped doing whatever, you know, hardcore diet or whatever I was doing, you know, I had all kinds of things like that little um, moments. Um, and, you know, I think one of the, the interesting things here too, is I was such an empath. Like I was, I would feel so deeply, like I was just, I've always been very sensitive, um, and, and very, um, just 
just feel, I would, I felt like I could always like feel the, to take on the sadness of those around me or the sadness of the world and make that my responsibility, which I think is something a lot of us do as addicts, um, try to control, try to take that on. Um, and I definitely did that. And I also let people treat me terribly. You know, I, um, you know, most of my boyfriends that I had growing up were, were awful. Um, I, uh, and I, I accepted that, you know, I, I always thought that I, that it was, I was this victim and I, I had been, um, you know, I had been treated so unfairly and, and maybe, maybe that's a little true, but I also like, but I did that to me, you know, like I did that. I accepted that, that, um, and I, I tolerate, I didn't just tolerate it. I came back for more, you know, over and over again with people that didn't love me the way I deserved to be loved. And I just, I think that I just thought that that was kind of just as good as it was going to be. Um, so, you know, eventually, um, when I was, uh, in my mid twenties, um, I met my, who is now my husband, um, and we started dating and that is the one that is one absolute, I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of miracles that are God given, but one absolute miracle is that I met and stayed with and married a man who is not an addict. Um, he's a normal eater, a normal everything. And, um, I don't know how that happened. I really don't. I, I can't explain it because I was a raging addict. Um, and, and I'd never been attracted to someone before that wasn't, um, like didn't give me those lightning bolts of excitement because we were using together or because they were an alcoholic or a drug addict or a whatever, you know? And, um, so that's an absolute miracle because that, uh, set me, helped set me on a bit of a better path. Um, in that, uh, well, in some ways, I mean, it helped set me on a bit of a better path in that, like I found someone that I really loved and I had a healthy relationship for really the first time. Um, but, when we started really getting serious and moving in together, that's when I started realizing that I was going to have to start hiding uh, my food and my eating and lying about it because I was embarrassed. Um, I mean, he knew I was overweight, right? Uh, but we just, he had made comments early in our relationship, like, wow, are you really going to eat all that or that kind of stuff? And I would just get really angry. I was just, you know, how dare you? And, and being very focused on body positivity, which of course is important, but I was using it in the wrong way. I was using it as a, as a weapon, um, and not as a productive social, um, construct as it's meant to be. Um, I was using it as a defense. Um, and, uh, as my sponsor says, uh, defense is the first act of war, which I think about all the time. Um, and I was very defensive. And so I think I kind of trained him in a way to just not talk to me about my eating. And most of my eating was done, um, not in his sight. I think he, I mean, when I did make my ninth step amends to him uh, a while ago, he was kind of like, well, obviously I knew something you were doing something. I just, I didn't know the details, but it, you know, he has eyes. So he, he knew, um, it, the things I was eating around him, you know, if, if that was what I was really eating, I wouldn't have been, you know, 60 pounds overweight. So, um, you know, I started when we started, when we got married and we joined our bank accounts, I kept a secret credit card that, um, he didn't know about. And, um, that is so shameful to admit. And I would use that for all of the binges that I wanted, uh, that I didn't want him to know about. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, I never thought I would admit that out loud to a hundred people, you know? Uh, so that's definitely humbling, but, um, I kept that for years, uh, and I used it every day. Um, a typical day for me, um, after we were married, 
in because I was hiding um, would be I would wake up, you know, we would have breakfast together, which would be a sensible breakfast. Um, I would I had a long commute to work, you know, over an hour. So I would stop um, on the I would stop halfway through uh, at a, a drive through and I would eat a large drive through breakfast. I would get to work. Um, and then around 10 a.m. I would hide and eat the lunch that I brought with me for that day that he would see me pack that was cold and no good and you know whatever I didn't even warm it up because I didn't care I didn't really care about taste I just wanted you know consumption I would eat that and then at lunchtime I would order something with my credit card um that was huge and I would usually order two meals and then like kind of just slosh them together like a rice dish and a noodle dish and mix it all together and eat that um on the way home I would stop at a drive-thru and have my pre-dinner and then at home, we would eat dinner together, and I would usually uh, eat more when he was taking a shower or whatever. Um, and that was my every day for a long time. And I hated the weekends because it was harder to get away with a lot of that stuff. I would love to go grocery shopping so I could go to the Whole Foods bar and just binge. Um, I, it was just not, I was not living. I was, not, I was a shell of a person, really. I was, um, I was just kind of a zombie. Like, I appreciated certain things, and I but I just was never present. Um, so, so anyway, after a couple years of, of, um, struggling, um, in trying to get pregnant, um, having a couple miscarriages and, and some traumatic, uh, incidents, I did finally get pregnant with, um, my daughter who's now almost four years old, um, and who by the grace of God is healthy. Um, another absolute miracle that had nothing to do with me because I did everything in my power to make sure that didn't happen apparently. Um, but somehow it did. So, um, so anyway, so, um, shortly before I got pregnant, uh, with my daughter, I was diagnosed with something called idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Um, the best way to explain that is that it's like having high blood pressure, but instead of in your blood, it's in your brain fluid. Um, I figured out that I had something wrong because I had a loud whooshing sound in just one ear. Um, that was the first symptom. I went to ear doctors and they said, everything looks fine. Um, I would get, I would stand up every time I would stand up, I would black out for a moment and then it would come back. Um, I had crippling, crippling headaches. Um, I even started like seeing like visions and weird, like, like spots and, and flashes. And it was, my vision was affected and it was, it was scary. And I finally through going through a series of like neurologists and finally found a neuro ophthalmologist who diagnosed me. Um, and the way it's, it's long kind of complicated. It's, it's a rare condition, but, um, it almost solely happens in people who are obese and I was medically obese at the time. And I would do everything I could to tell myself, that's not why I got this. Um, and my doctor told me, you know, lose weight and, um, and this will go away. And I, um, was like, absolutely sure. Of course. And just couldn't, you know, and I, got pregnant and hadn't taken care of this issue. And the issue got worse because when you're pregnant, um, you know, your body maintains extra fluid anyway. So this issue got a lot worse. And I had to get on this medication um, that's pretty strong and pretty scary, um, not advised for pregnancy. But um, the situation was, uh, if I didn't get on that medication, I was almost definitely going to go blind because um, that's what this disease does. and you know, imagine you have medical professionals telling you, you're going to go blind if you don't lose weight, you're pregnant, you're endangering another life. And I just kept eating. 
And to me, that's one of the most important parts of my story because it shows the depth of what this disease, where this disease takes us. Um, I thought that when I got pregnant, I would treat my body like a temple. And I just, I just continued to treat my body like crap. Um, and I, you know, I would think that to avoid being on this medication, I would just lose weight and I couldn't, and I didn't. And I, every night I would flop into bed, my knees would hurt, everything would hurt. And I would just tell myself like, not tomorrow, not tomorrow, don't do it tomorrow. And then my car would just appear at the drive through You know, it was like, it feels like, it truly felt like this, it was out of my control. That's really what it felt like. And I felt like I was insane. Um, and that's when I got into program, that's how I knew that only a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity because it was definitely something greater than myself that, that, that was happening here. It was just something I couldn't control. I couldn't explain. I couldn't figure it out. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, um, I, I gained, I think 30 pounds in like the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. Um, and I got gestational diabetes, of course, and I had this, um, IIC, uh, issue. And so my OB sent me to this specialist, um, I forget, peri perinatologist, you know, high risk specialist. And he just was so the most no nonsense doctor I've ever met in my life. Doctors always would kind of tiptoe around the weight stuff with me because it was awkward. It was uncomfortable. I would get, I would get emotional, but he didn't care. You know, he was just like, what are you doing to yourself? Um, like you're, uh, you're hurting yourself. Like you're uh, hurting your child. And he was just like, why can't you, why can't you do this? Like he was so in my face and I just bawled and I was just like, he just doesn't understand. He's so mean to me. And I was just so offended and it's horrible, you know, and all this stuff. Um, but I think that doctor partly saved my life because that was very close to my bottom and no one had ever talked to me like that. And he, um, I remember saying to him like, it's, I'll exercise. That's how I'll get it off. And he said, it doesn't matter. He's like, he said, you know, I, I exercise. He was very fit, you know, very thin and fit. And he said, I exercise. I run like someone's chasing me for an hour every morning. And if I go to Starbucks and get like a big croissant and a muffin or whatever, it doesn't, that all goes away, you know, in terms of calories, exercise is obviously phenomenal for health and, um, longevity and, and blood pressure and all these other great things. But in terms of purely weight loss, he said, you know, you have to change your food. Um, saw a nutritionist, went on a very strict diet, um, and didn't gain any more weight during the pregnancy because of that. But then in the hospital after she was born, and I had to have a C-section because of the IIC, I couldn't push. Uh, so after she was born, um, the first thing I did when I came to was order a bunch of food, a bunch of the stuff I couldn't, ha couldn't have when I was pregnant, and went right back to the races. Um, the IIC um, subsided after she was born. And... Um, then about 10 months later, uh, I had been totally back in my old, in my old eating ways about, she was about 10 months old and it started coming back and I mentioned it to my husband and he lost it and it just killed me. He is the most kind, gentle soul and he adores me and he just, with tears in his eyes, just said, you are killing yourself and you are hurting your whole family. And I just, and he said, you were, and he said, you are lying to yourself and to all of us. And that just, that just killed me. And I didn't know what to do. I started Googling. I didn't know anything about, um, compulsive overeater, uh, that, that phrase, but I knew what anorexic was. Um, 
sort of. I mean, I guess I knew just generally because I'd heard of that in in pop culture, I guess. And so I Googled like, what's the opposite of anorexic? <laughs> because I just knew that I had something that was similar to that in the obsessionary side of it, but it was not restricting, it was overeating. And in just doing different Googling, I found an OA, OA meeting that was the next day. And I just thought like, what the hell, you know, what can I possibly lose? And so I went and, um, and I just, like I said, I heard people talking like me for the first time in my life. And um, I really felt like I was at my bottom. I felt so ashamed and just, uh, just so outside of myself. And I had this baby girl at home and I didn't, I didn't even know what love was until she was born. I could not love her more. I would step in front of a train for her. I would do anything for that child, but I could not stop eating and I did not stop eating. Not for her, not for me, not for anybody. Um, and if anyone out here, you know, here has children or just anyone that you love like that, um, you know, you know how that feels. And to have that power not be able to stop me from eating, that, that, is, that is bigger than us. So, um, you know, I, went, I was in the program, I started going to meetings and just listening. I was just kind of dumbstruck and just hearing this, trying to wrap my brain around the fact that this is a thing. And I remember hearing someone at my first meeting take a chip for 90 days and said they hadn't had flour or sugar in 90 days. And I thought, oh, she's lying. <laughs> I just thought that's not possible. Um, there's just no way. Like, who doesn't eat flour and sugar? That's crazy. Um, but I just kept coming back and I kept listening. And about a month in, um, I found the woman that I, I wanted to sponsor me. I saw her speak. I saw her give somebody a candle um, as their sponsor. And I just fell in love with her at first sight. I just thought, I want everything that she has. I want her energy. I want her, her all of it. And, um, you know, she didn't know me from Adam, but I, I asked her to sponsor me. And um, I think she was surprised. And, and she uh, offered to meet with me and to talk about it. And... Um, and we did, we sat down and, um, which was on May 20th of 2017. And, uh, you know, she said, you know, if, if I'm going to sponsor you, you know, we need to define an abstinence. It needs to be black and white. So, um, we went through all of the foods that I can't eat, um, you know, properly, <laughs> which is a lot. Um, and I don't have yellow light foods. I don't do yellow light, red light, green light. I just do foods that I can eat and foods that I can't. And, um, I can't eat, I just mean like, if I have it, it will be too, it'll taste too good. It'll be sexy. It'll, it'll be the lightning bolts. It'll give me something that food doesn't need to give me, you know? Um, so my abstinence is no flour, no sugar, which is funny that that came up. I was just like, ah, but uh, no flour, no sugar, um, no food from drive-thrus, no fried potatoes or fried vegetables. Um, and you know a list of things, but um, but that those are those are the big ones, uh, the ones that were the hardest initially to kind of swallow. But um, no pun intended. But uh, I uh, we I, I we left I left that meeting with her holding this piece of paper that had all this stuff written down on it. And when when we were talking before I left, I just was like, I don't think I can do this. And she said, you know, maybe not. But like it was, it was like mid morning. And she said, what about for lunch? Do you think you can do this for lunch today? Cause part of it was three meals a day, nothing in between. Um, Cause I, my meals never had a start and a stop. I would just eat all day. And so that was a big part of it. And I was like, well, you mean like for lunch today? I mean, I guess, yeah, I could, I could figure something out for lunch, but I don't know about dinner. I don't know about tomorrow. And she was like, doesn't matter. 
you can do it for lunch, just do it for lunch and we'll take it from there. Christine, so, you have 10 minutes. Great, thank you. Um, so I did it for lunch and I've done it for every meal since then, a little over three years ago. And I did have done it um, very much pur purposefully knowing that it would be just one meal at a time. Some days it's a minute at a time. Some days it's a day at a time. It's never more than that. Um, and that really uh, is just kind of how, how it started. Um, my abstinence to me, it's critical to have it be black and white um, because I need to know, I can't have it be um, something subjective because I'll abuse that. I'll abuse the hell out of that. If it's something where I can say like, well, maybe then I'm, I'm playing games with myself and I don't, I don't, can't trust that part of myself. It, that part of my, I've abused food and my body so much that I have lost the privilege to, um, to eat like that. I just have, you know, and I, and I just know that. And now my life is incredible. Um, I got pregnant again, um, in my abstinence. Um, my son is now almost, uh, 16 months old and that pregnancy was amazing. I was radiant. I was healthy. I gained a perfect appropriate amount of weight, which was, I think like, I forget exactly, but like a little over 10 pounds, like during the whole uh, pregnancy, I was, I was, um, it was a textbook perfect pregnancy. I have not had any issues with the intracranial hypertension, um, since start, since losing the weight, um, that has not come back. And I am, so I'm in remission for that, which is an, also a miracle, but my son, um, so I was pregnant with him and seven months of the pregnancy was perfect. And then I had a placental abruption and, um, he came, you know, fast and nine weeks early and, um, both of us very nearly died, um, during the process, uh, but we didn't. And, um, I can't tell you though, if I had been 56 pounds heavier and with intracranial hypertension and gestational diabetes, I can't tell you that I wouldn't have died, you know, because I was this close. My husband said goodbye to me in the operating room. Um, and we both said goodbye to our child and, um, we survived. And I know that that is 100% because of this program. Um, so uh, the placental abruption is just something that can happen either through trauma or just a random thing. And it was, for me, it was just like getting struck by lightning. It was just a random, terrible thing. He spent eight weeks in the NICU um, and that was impossibly hard. And I stayed abstinent every day. I talked to my sponsor all the time. She walked through every moment of that with me. Um, she helped me get through that with grace, the whole fellowship supported. When I told my home meeting that he turned a year old, they all stood up and clapped. And I was so appreciative because it just showed me that like there are fellows and, and people on this journey with me that love me so much and care so much about me and my family and, and have seen me through the worst of the worst and the best of the best. And that those eight weeks were the worst in my life. Um, and if I weren't abstinent, A, I wouldn't have survived the birth. Um, and B, I emotionally would not have been able to handle that. Um, it was, oh, I could talk for another hour just about that experience. You know, I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, and boy, was I tested. But I never, uh, I was never angry at God because I, I remember thinking, it's not, this is not something happening to me. 
This is just something that is happening. And there's a big difference there. There's, there's the idea of I'm a victim and this is all happening to me. And there's an idea that things happen in the world. They just happen. And, um, and I happen to be here for it, but thank God I was present for it. I was not in the food. Um, I sure felt like jumping into the food. I thought jumping into a plate of noodles might make me feel a little better, but I also knew that it would just make things worse. And, um, you know, this, the program just lifted me when I couldn't lift myself. Um, and I really couldn't lift myself and, um, and getting through that, you know, uh, it also taught me a lot about perfection. I know we talk a lot about perfection, progress, not perfection, and that kind of thing in this program. And, you know, uh, my son now, he's always, he's, he's almost 16 months old and he is completely healthy and perfect and, and beautiful and strong and, and a picture of health. Now you would never know he was nine weeks early, which is incredible. But um, when he was, you know, during his NICU time, they thought that he had a a bleed on his brain and they told us that he was going to have cerebral palsy, which ended up, uh, not happening, but that's, that's the diagnosis we got. And so we were preparing ourselves. And I just remember thinking, like, I wasn't even that upset because I just remember thinking like, but he's just perfect. You know, like he's perfect exactly how he is. Like, I love this creature more than the universe. And I don't care. I don't care what, what he has, what he doesn't have. Like he, however he is, is exactly correct. So if he has cerebral palsy, if he has whatever, that's exactly perfect, you know? And that was a way that I realized that perfection is what we make it, it be. Um, and then the next day he went in for an MRI and the bleed on his brain had disappeared. It was there one day and the next day, it was there on a Friday and on a Monday it was not there. And the doctor said, I don't know what to tell you. I've never seen this happen before. And he was honestly like, he said, I don't have words, um, but your baby is fine. And I mean, just wow. Right. Wow. I have chills talking about that now. Um, I remember my mom was here. She came and stayed with us for a couple months, which was really, really wonderful and helpful and so beautiful and generous of her. And I remember walking in and telling her like it wasn't there. And she just like fell to her knees crying because we just were all so tense and it was just this like what um like wow but I just I think like I needed that experience to show me like okay so he has this okay I'm just we're gonna find a great doctor we're gonna find the right therapy we're gonna it's fine because he is perfect and I can think that about myself now you know I can think that about myself too like but I am just as God made me and so is everyone all of us. So is everyone that has wronged me that I feel resentful towards, that I feel whatever, like we're all perfect as God made us. Maybe everything that happens is just exactly how it's supposed to be. And even when it's horrible, because we don't get it. You know, someone one time in a, in a meeting shared the story about they had like a, a toddler and the toddler was in one of those little walkers trying to learn how to walk and was walking around the kitchen and um, was trying to get out, like trying to open the door and get out the door, but they lived on a, on a walk up. Um, and there was a long cement staircase. And so they had to keep the door closed and that the baby would get so mad that he couldn't go down, open that door. And they put child locks on it and everything. And the, and the mom who was sharing of this said, it's just kind of like God, like we get so angry when things don't happen to our preference, but we don't know that if we open the door, there's a cement staircase there. Um, you know, so maybe like the kicking and screaming and tantrums I want to do because something isn't exactly how I think it should be, or, or it doesn't feel right in whatever way I decide it is, you know, um, 
it just like, I just, I just remind myself like, well, I don't know what the cement staircase, if the cement staircase is there and I need to trust that, um, that that is just a power greater than me, uh, job, not mine. You know, um, the first, you know, I was never religious, but when I started thinking about a power greater than myself, my sponsor just said, just remember that it's just not you. And that's where we'll start. And, uh, and that really helped because I had tried to be everyone's power <laughs> greater than themselves. I thought I was, I was God's gift. I could, I, I had all the best ideas. I could fix your life. I could fix your life. I knew this, I knew that I was so smart, but I couldn't fix my own life. Um, and then looking back, it's like, I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, it's just, I tried to do God's job for a long time and now I'm, I'm letting, I'm letting God do God's job. Um, and uh, I know I've got one minute left, so I'm going to wrap up and just say, um, that I am really grateful to be here. I'm grateful for my life. Um, and I, I couldn't have done, couldn't have done any of this without God, without my sponsor, without all of those who lifted me up every moment through this. Um, 0% of this is me. You know, I used to think like, why can't I just have self-will or self-discipline and blah, blah, blah. And it has nothing to do with that. We are all smart and capable and strong. And, um, you know, if it was that easy, none of OA wouldn't exist. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need it. I would have lost weight a million years ago. Right. Um, but, uh, it's not, we need each other and we need, we need every single thing, um, that we get from this program. And it just, it takes what it takes. I needed every bite. My sponsor tells me that all the time when I am disappointed, I didn't do it earlier. We needed every bite to get exactly here. And here we are. So, um, with that, I will, I will end. Thank you for letting me share. Um, I really, really appreciate it.